Welcome to the Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is a place where successful thought leaders in the SAP space come to share their leadership styles, their tips, and their unique stories on how to run successful large-scale SAP programs. Listen to the podcast to learn from their successes, their failures, their career stories, and their inspirations. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute, who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link below. Hello, Season 5, Episode 1 of the uh, Configure It Done podcast. Can't believe we're on Season 5. How quick yeah, that's wild. How quick that gone? That is wild. Yeah, I've started this in um, COVID, in lockdown. No, actually before COVID. Before? Yeah. Um, and uh, during COVID, obviously went virtual and then we're back in the office in Season 4. Such Still in the office, Season 5, and not gone back in yet, which is yeah. good. Fingers crossed you'll see a new office soon. I don't know. Talk to my finance director, though. Anyone's got any good real estate, please let us know. We are looking, aren't we? We are desperate at the moment. Yeah. Meetings in the lobby. Someone <laughs> said I was in a closet the other day. Connotations, I don't know, but we'll find out. Yeah, the team is growing. And, uh, yeah, we came in, was it last Wednesday? And there wasn't enough desks. So, yeah, meetings in the lobby at the moment. And, uh, yeah, we, we need a new office for Post-COVID sure. Post-COVID things. I know. Yeah. I know. Anyway, we've... Um, doing a topic today a new topic normally we have leaders in the sap space we have got a leader in the Wait. sap space <laughs> with uh, sarah today my colleague nice to have you on sarah thanks and um we're talking about the sap talent survey mm-hmm. so for those that are watching or listening tell us about the sap talent survey the background sarah and what do we do so we do it every year and it's essentially gives a snapshot of what the market's feeling, not just for like, oh, you know, what kind of roles do you go for, but all the little bits and bobs, um, remote work, contract, perm, salary, technology. We try to send out a survey that covers as much information about the market that we can then feed back to not just candidates, but clients too. We send it out to 6,000 plus coder candidates every year. So you've probably got it in your inbox now and you may not know. Um, Or you've got probably five or six and you may not know. But really, it gives a snapshot for what the market's feeling at the moment. Just a bit of a finger on the pulse that we then get to use, you know, for recruitment needs, but also just market information. Information is power these days. So not a standard salary. Yeah, it's not your salary check. It asks you about your drivers, what you want to look for in another role. Is it technology? Is it remote work? Is it flexibility? Men, women, age brackets, how many years experience do you have? Certifications. It covers everything. And it really does give an excellent insight into the mind of an SAP professional in Australia. Cool. All right. Now, before we go into the talent server, I just want to bring up a very mm-hmm. subjective topic that we're talking about in the office at the moment, and that's dress code. So mm. just to bring everyone up to speed, I feel that the dress code has changed since COVID. All right. Before COVID, I would wear, for instance, a shirt and a tie. I know... Um, yeah, ladies in the office were very, very formal as well. Mm. I think COVID, working from home, I think we've all kind of, we've worked in what we feel comfortable in now. And now we've come back to the office. I feel everyone has changed and the world has changed. So I'd love to get your views on dress code in the SAP market. I really struggle with this question, which I brought it up in our team meeting. Um, I think that, It is unfortunately subjective. Um, As some of you may or may not know, I have a few tattoos. And I remember working in retail when I was like 
18 or 19, I started to get some tattoos. My manager, who was completely tatted up, every single limb was covered, um, raised a really good point, which I've carried with me forever. She said, if you get tattoos or if you get a wild haircut or if you're putting something, a little bit of a toe outside of the norm, everything else needs to be raised a level. Because if you start getting heaps of tattoos, but then you just walk out in ratty sneakers and ratty jeans and a hoodie, all of a sudden you've crossed a line in society wherein you do get judged. And also, I am also quite a judgy person. And I'm also a believer of judging a book by its cover because covers are there. A lot of thought goes into a book cover. I've never understood, never understood that metaphor. Covers are meant to be judged. What you put forward, I think, does say something about you. So having said that though, I think everyone can dress in a certain way. If you put two different people in t-shirts and in jeans, depending on how they carry themselves, it's presented in a very different light in a very different fashion. So Mm. I, for example, today, I'm wearing a pencil skirt and a relatively smart top. I do have sneakers on. Did Jay raise an eyebrow at that maybe? Maybe they need to be cleaned. (laughs) Maybe they're not clean enough, the sneakers. It is. It's such a subjective Yeah, um, it's so hard. I think it's, it's so emotive because you'll get, you know, oh, men... I'm, a, I'm in the thought camp. It's so much easier for men. It's so much easier. You just put the shirt, the jumper, and the, like, and the pants on. Nine times out of ten, that's a very safe bet. Whereas I think for women, it is, it is much more of a voice to express yourself. Yeah. I, think, get dampened. I, I don't know. Like before, if I rewind two and a half years ago, before oh COVID. Same thing every day. I'd literally wear a white shirt. <laughs> Navy pants. Cufflinks, navy pants, navy um, jacket, shoes. That's it. And, it, and that was it. And it, I had, I remember I had five shirts. I used to take them to the dry cleans, get them um, washed and ironed every week. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And that was it. And the reason why I'd done that was because I didn't have to think in, mm. the, in the morning when I was getting ready. And, it, and that was me. And um, it was just so easy. And then after COVID, I wouldn't even, I'd wear a suit jacket, but, you know, I'd wear chinos or i'd wear um like jeans for instance but still still He's smart wearing jeans today. i'm wearing jeans today yeah like oh, i'd never wear this before <laughs> no before you COVID. so like i'll give the example yesterday i think everyone myself included has dropped five percent but where does where did you know was the starting line for instance if i wore this before covid and i dropped another five percent on my own t-shirts or you know, so it is subjective. Like, but I where, think the market's the dropped with us, which kind of levels out the playing field a little bit. Mm. Do you want to rock up in a full suit when the person that you're meeting has come in chinos and a polo? Mm-hmm. And does that also, is that a little bit of a power move where you have like un- unintentionally set yourself one above and then does that feed into the connotations of the conversation? Do they make assumptions? Either way, it's a book to be judged. Yeah, true. I remember going to a, like a techie office, um, for, like for a tech company, and um, I was in that suit probably about three years ago, and everyone in there oh just God, turned yeah. around, and looked at me, They'll and I was like, I am so overdressed. It's right like if now. you walked into there like at Lassian, you'd mm. be judged immediately, and you'd be like, you're not, you're not one of us, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Super weird, but it's true. So bizarre. I bet Alassian would love that. And I was just <laughs> thinking, as I said, I was like, should I say the company? <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> so we're here for the talent survey. Um, so I'm just going to throw up a, a couple of stats here, so and then we can go into some of the insights. Because what we normally do is, um, you know, present the insights either at an event or when we're on a client meeting. Um, 
So this is a, a huge, huge topic, and it's been a real problem in the SAP community now for well forever, and and that's a um, male versus female ratio. Mm. So the start here, eighty percent of the SAP market are actually male. Okay, coming along to a recruiter like yourself, Sarah. What's it like when a client says to you, we must hire women? Mm, I think it comes from the right place. It 100% does. I also think, unfortunately, it is an unrealistic conversation to have at times. I think that can be said for the majority of STEM. And I think that this conversation stems to like a real... Mm, not problem challenge that we have in the market not just with men versus women but also like youth particularly i think for sap is a would be a very similar trend mm -hmm. um the reality is that oh should i say it sap isn't a sexy technology anymore i said it it's not it's not people who are starting in it don't immediately oh, SAP is something that I want to learn mm -hmm. or SAP is something that I maybe want to do. I think a lot of people fall into this technology mm -hmm. and I think that that is what has contributed to this stat of um, 80% are, are men because when SAP hit the shores in Australia 25-ish years ago, um, it was a CIO coming into the IT room, which would have been in the corner of the office at that time, going one, two, three, you guys are on our SAP program now. They would have just plucked IT and made them SAP. Those people are still in those roles today. Mm -hmm. They're still in SAP doing those roles today. And those people at that time would have been men. So when a client does come to me, it's like, oh, look, we really, really want to see a woman, you know, either as an option or we want to only see women. I think that that can be a dangerous conversation. A, you've then got positive discrimination, which is a very slippery slope. And I could talk hours about that. But then you also do have the question of what are you actually doing to get women into this market though? Mm -hmm. What are you offering? What would influence a woman to start picking up SAP as a technology or as a platform and using as that as her career platform? Because I think that that's really what you should be offering. It's all well and good to say, oh, well, we're going to bolster it. But where are you getting these women from? Mm -hmm. and, and where are they going to come into the market exactly? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to keep them there? So there are 20% obviously women in the, mm. in the SAP community. In your mind, Sarah, how do you, as a, as a client, attract more women into your business? Like what are the insights and what can you do to attract more women? So I think that something really key is something simple that we should probably be doing more as an SAP market. Talk to your end users. Talk to your end users who use SAP and upskill because guaranteed I reckon that that stat would be maybe not a full 50-50 but you'd be looking at a higher percentage of women who use SAP at least more than 20% surely and then I think that that opens up a discussion which needs to be happening across the market not just for women but also like just junior consultants look to your end users yes you know partner with your universities and graduate programs and everything like that but consider upskilling consider investing in your staff and ask them well who here in the hr team maybe wants to learn success factors i think you'd see more hands go up than down mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I think that that's a really important conversation that needs to happen. If you wanna get more women into your team, start asking the women that are already there. Maybe don't consider going outside of market to find someone at the exact level that you're looking at with the exact skill and the exact kind of, yeah, you know, background that you're looking for. Instead, consider training from within. And I think that that will then facilitate way more diversity in this market than going to the same existing talent pool that's been there for 25 years. Yeah, yeah. But that, that existing talent pool, like I mentioned earlier, there are 20% of, um, of women in there. And um, I think a really good, really simple thing that you can you can do is is work on your, your marketing. So mm. if you've got um, experienced women within your team, that have done well, perform well on a project, I think you should be shouting from the rooftops a, yeah. about them. Um, and LinkedIn's a great platform for that recognition, putting out a post about a high performer. Um, and yeah, especially if you're looking to attract uh, more women into your team, like I said, sing from the rooftops about high performing women in, in your team and that will will work. And the reason why I say that, that doesn't that's not just me just throwing out a, you know, a random insight. I remember when... I joined Precision eight years ago and it was a boys club. It, it really mm. was. And I know the recruitment industry was very similar to uh, to SAP like that. It was literally male, you know, male dominated. And over eight years, we've completely changed that culture and we've completely changed the way that we do celebrate success. Mm. Um, and that is transformed. And yeah, we, we have got, you know, a, a very, very good balance. We're... I think we're 60-40 in favour of women at the we moment, are. which is yeah. which is brilliant. And yeah, it's just this very very simple um, tip and insight to uh, yeah to promote. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, it has worked because there are there are women out there. There yeah. are a hundred percent women out there. My only worry is when we start saying you know celebrate the success of women. It's that terrible part. It's probably nah. It's a founded fear, but I think that a lot of women when they start hearing things like oh, we'll celebrate your successes, shout it from the rooftop. There's very much a tall poppy syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I definitely feel sometimes if I've put out like a successful post on LinkedIn or something like that where I'm, I am celebrating success, there's always a little voice in the back of my head that says, is a guy out there reading this and saying, well, my celebrate, my, I don't ever get success touted mm. about what I do and I'm still doing the same job. And then it, is, it does become that positive discrimination debate in my head where I'm like am I just celebrating this because it's a woman or am I celebrating it because it's worthy of celebrating? Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think that that's the discussion that also needs to happen because then you, I think that that's the risk when we do as recruiters here, we only want to see women. Mm. We're very much of the belief of we should be putting the best person forward though. hundred percent. Like we, and I think that yeah. that is where it starts to harm the cause because if you are there for simply a diversity quota, are you are you doing that for the right reasons? Do you want to be there for that reason? But then there's also a big part of me where it's just like it's an uphill battle, and you and you got to take you got to take what you can. If that's mm. the system and that's how it's been set up, and the system hasn't necessarily been working to your favor, but now there's an opening, do you capitalize? Yeah, I love that. Like my my personal thoughts, I I don't see gender. I don't see color, for instance. Are you the best person for the role? Mm. Yes, yes or no. And and the more the more we do talk about, it, yes, I, I get it. It is a huge topic. We do need to talk about it. 
but yeah that that's my personal view is are you the best person for for the role regardless of gender color race mm. religion are you the best person for the role yes or no and, and that's it yeah. um anyway let's move on because we could we could speak for mm-hmm. hours um about that um this is a good one now there's a lot of debate in the market at the moment and a lot of heat around um salaries mm. and rates and they're going up and um a lot of um consultants are, i deserve more i deserve this i deserve that my friend's getting interviewed at this salary <laughs> nightmare absolute nightmare the but worst. i want to bring it back to what the sap talent are actually motivated by okay because it's quite surprising it's not always remuneration in fact only 20 percent yeah one in five are actually um motivated by the dollars so sorry let's talk about this so yeah 35 percent are motivated by technology um yeah what's your views on that when speaking to to candidates so it's kind of the same when i speak to both candidates and clients because often it's actually the first question that comes up Either way, it's just like, tell me about the market. I've been hearing crazy things. Are rates really going up that much? Are salaries really going up that much? From a candidate point of view, the question is always, what's the market rate at the moment? Such a, not a bad question, but like such a loaded question. Yeah. So, if I could remove one thing, uh, one yeah. quote from the market is market It would be rate. market rate. Yeah. I just think that it's such a damaging question because i'm a really firm believer of you bring to the market your own expectation no one's got your circumstances no one's got exactly your mortgage no one's got exactly the school fees that you're paying no one's got all the little ins and outs that make your situation an individual situation so i think whenever a client says to me oh well this is what the market's paying or whenever a candidate says this is what the market is telling me I'm just like, what does that mean? Who and, is the market? What the, market um, are you talking about? And the client side as well. Yeah. No, no two roles. As I said, you could have a FICO role in client A, 100%. a FICO role in client B, but the scope's different, the project's different, the stakeholders are different, the location's different, the timing's different, the pressure's different, the supply's different, everything yep. is different. So no two roles are the, the same. Yeah. It's exactly the same. No, yeah. 100%. So I think that when that question comes up of like, remuneration and and what should we be paying i think a really common thread throughout this whole talent survey don't paint everyone by the same brush if i could give one message to the market candidate and client start actualizing your own individual situation Mm -hmm. because i think that yeah, it says it right there. Only twenty percent really looks at remuneration, yet it's still probably one of the. First I just think people want a fair up. wicket. That's yeah, it. agreed. And they they want to see. Well, if I'm a manager and I'm hiring someone, and my CEO is somehow signed off on twenty k more than me, of course that's going to start to create some tension. So you also, I think that people need to be more transparent about what they're making. Mm-hmm. I think about it as a recruiter. One of the first questions we ask: Cool, what are you making? And people are like, oh yeah, I make this, and you're like, great. I don't know what any of my friends make. I think it's a really scary question to talk about outside of this. You are a recruiter, Sarah. I know, I know. You're not going to be interviewing your mates. That's true, but like, why why do we not talk about it? Mm. Why do we not talk about it? Why is it whispered of like in hallways? Mm. Like, oh, did you hear this person got offered 20K more than what I'm on? 
Yeah. And I think that start I think that's where a lot of the like tension between salaries and daily Oh actually you know what contractors are different cuz contractors I feel like actually I will say this contractors just know. They just know this is what I want. Anything below they're like nah it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And then it's great and then you can kind of just part ways you're like cool. It's not that, for you. It is difficult I, like sorry you couldn't you couldn't be on a a client site openly talking about salaries because like you said it does create a lot of it is an emotive topic yeah it shouldn't be but it it is and uh, if you're on a project and you know that xyz person over there is getting paid 40 grand more than yourself it's inevitable a lot more it it does create a lot of tension so yeah I i don't think you can openly speak about um yeah salary especially on a project project site Mm, agree to disagree i think that if we spoke about it more it would become less emotive you think i think if it was less hidden it would become more just normalized to speak about i will say this though i think a lot of clients and a lot of candidates do worry about like the dollars first when in reality if you're offering a good piece of tech as a project yeah if you're a good leader, which has become really important to the market at the moment, if you are offering work from home flexibility, if you're offering like good transparency in terms of the role and the roadmap for the next five years, chances are you've ticked like four out of five boxes. Yeah, that's I what think, this talent survey says. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. obviously one in five remuneration, but it says here if you're offering remote or flexible work, good leader, and then you've got you know the latest and greatest technology yeah that's the other 80 percent it's literally 80 percent so yeah four times out of five you you're going to hire somebody which that's is it. Which so is I, great. I do tell clients if they're struggling to meet the market rate what else can you offer and i think it's become a real challenge now i think interviews are have become selling discussions 100 percent. how yeah. well can you not just sell i think not just sell yourself as a candidate obviously that's always been there and i'm a real firm believer in that like interviews test your interview skills Mm -hmm. they're often not great reflections on the type of work that you do yeah because you're never going to be put in an interview situation in your job Mm -hmm. unless you're us again whereas i think that way more importantly now as a leader if you're hiring you need to know what your selling points are if you can't rattle off the top of your head your key incentives for long-term staff, mm-hmm. your parental policies, your work-from-home policies, like all of that stuff benefits, is, yeah. yeah, it's so crucial. It's so crucial for a candidate to hear that, not just from the recruiter, but from the actual person that they're going to be working with. A top, topical example, so last week, um, like one of the SAP consultants in our team, SAP recruiters in, in our team, she was working with a... Um, a small HCM um, consultancy mm. and they took a candidate through a, an interview process and um, she put the consultant forward for 130k um, in terms of a salary because that's what they were receiving mm-hmm. in the last role. Anyway, the client interviewed them. They spoke about the benefits. They spoke about the flexibility. Obviously a fantastic leader and the way they articulated the story and where they wanted to take the small consultancy and where they want to be in five years he got the consultant bought in mm. so much so that they accepted 20k less so 110k yeah. so like again technology lean on that if you're a good leader lean on that and then yeah the flexible and remote working and again like like i said sap talent they just want a, a fair wicket yeah they the do the 
So, um, yeah, that was a, a really good topical example. All right, let's um, go into it again. So, yeah, you choose one, Sarah. What should we talk about next? Oh, you know what? Where does SAP talent live? I actually think that's going to be quite an interesting one because I've seen, not in just in my friends, but like in the people that we now work with, it's been a pretty big mass exodus from mm-hmm. the major capital cities of Australia. Mm-hmm. Mm, Sydney. It's been a pretty mass exodus <laughs> from Sydney. I've had a lot of friends moving to Brisbane. I've had a lot of friends Melbourne, some overseas, but even within our office, we've now hired in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Abby lives in Brisbane. She's abandoned us. <laughs> Joel, our associate director, lives in the Central Coast. I think this, again, speaks to the importance of flexibility when you're looking at a work arrangement because it really did prove, COVID did prove that, like, you don't need to be where your bosses are necessarily anymore. Mm. I think it's become an old conversation. Having said that, I do still have the odd client who is in your Adelaide's and in your not necessarily, but your Canberra's Mm -hmm. becoming a big one. I think that as we now settle into this new norm, I'm getting more questions about fly-in, fly-out, clients preferring, oh, could we have someone on site more or less for three or four days a week? But then you take that to the candidate and they're like, well, I'm working 100% remote now. I do not leave my house. I work my own hours. I think that we're actually, we might start seeing a bit more of a divide now between as projects start to really kick off, you know, we're looking at BTP, we're looking at s support cutting off in 2027. I think we're going to see a lot more of a disconnect between where people are living and where they're going to start working again. Yeah. Canberra's always been challenging. I've, like, I've recruited for um, a few of the federal clients down there. It's always been a challenge. Mm. Only well, nearly 3% of the market live in in canberra yeah and the rest commute and and then you've got the added challenge of um, most of the federal clients need citizens um i'll come back to the like the covid thing we proved that we can deliver projects remote and now we've come out of that into the new normal um, we're still getting requirements now yeah they have to be at the office and the challenge is from a from a candidate side even if you've worked for a Canberra client before and used to fly and fly out, you've got used to being at home. You know, try and get these people back to Canberra is very, very difficult. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I've I've never ever got why a permanent resident couldn't work on a on a federal client. So it just blows my mind. Yeah, I, I just that's a whole that's a whole other thing. Yeah. That's a whole, other, whole thing. other thing. Yeah, I just think that um, really what you hear as a candidate now when you hear a client say i want them to be in the office i think it comes down to that trust piece because the question just just to become why we've done this for the last two it works guys it works our productivity our productivity actually i think we're a really good example precision sourcing was anti-work from home and it was like a real blanket statement and it was if one person can do it, we should all be able to do it. If one of us can't, none of us can. I think most of the SAP community was. Yeah, that's. I think most of the working world was. Yeah, like exactly. rarely do you, when you heard a friend was like, oh my God, you're working from home? Smirking from yeah, home. What, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and now that we have proven that we can do it, it has become the norm. And I think the market's better for it. Work-life balance is something that should be like, celebrated Mm, from the rooftops if you're a client that's genuinely pushing a solid work-life balance you're i think you're actually now at the norm but again it's it's different strokes for different folks Mm -hmm. could you do your job better 
from somewhere else. Mm. I think that's it. Could you do your job as good or better? And I think that work from home flexibility has shown productivity go up, but it's seen mental health go up, quality of life. These are things that you cannot put a dollar price on. For me personally, I don't think that you can you can swap that out anymore. Oh, good point. I like it. So, so listen, we've been going for like 30, 35 minutes now, I think it is. Mm. And um, our market manage, manager, Andriana, is looking at us and wrap it up. Yeah. Hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> to get to the next meeting but um now that was brilliant thank you thank you for that today no worries. um yeah we'll put this out to the market see what you guys think hopefully you liked it it's a little bit of a different flavor but hopefully this gives you a bit of an insight as to the conversations that we're having day in day out with people like you who are listening hopefully and then um yeah we'll put a, a new talent survey up in a new financial year so um yeah look out for that talent survey in your inbox I think we've got six six thousand yeah. people on a database now, yep. so that's brilliant. So yeah, look out for that talent survey. Thank you for those that completed it this year, and um, yeah, we'll we'll be back. Have a good one. See you later.